This is a car show, but it's also more because cars connect us to every part of our lives. Families, careers, hobbies, and adventures we never expected. So you should have a car you love. And we're here to help. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hello, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Some podcast scheduling news right up front, and that is this is podcast, I can't believe this, 874. That's a lot. That's a lot of us talking. <laughs> and if you keep track, every 25 we do a live podcast. That means the next one, 875, will be a live podcast. However, we're out of town. So what we've decided yeah, yes. to do is we're going to just not do another podcast this week. So welcome to Tuesday. Unfortunately, there will not be a Friday podcast. But next Monday, we're going to do a live podcast that will be an all-questions live podcast on our Test Drive Videos YouTube channel. So there will not be another podcast this week, but next week is live, and we'll kick it off with a bang. Some news that everyone's picking up is a New York Times current article written by Coral Davenport on February 17th, 2024, about the current U.S. administration giving up EV production targets as a concession, apparently, to automakers and labor unions. But timeframes have changed, and that is the headline. As we've talked mm -hmm. about for mm -hmm. many EVs, we welcome new technology. We welcome what the potential of EVs can be. And every time I think of what EVs can't be, I think of the Volvo C40 and how much I didn't like it and how uninspiring <laughs> and did nothing for me. There was no passion about that thing. And there are people who own it. I realize that. And there's some people who like it. But <laughs> I know there has got to be some EVs with a lot of passion and driver involvement. I see Porsche working on a few things. Mm -hmm, and I mm -hmm. have high hopes there. But we see consumer demand for EVs being lower than expected. Ford announced losses of $4.7 billion in January 2024. But a Dow Jones analysis in December 2023 written by Tommy Kilgore says Tesla's stock could rise to a $1 trillion market value wow. in 2024. So Tesla's still doing fine over here. Well, and BYD is actually more successful in actually selling electric cars than Tesla is. And I was reading recently because there's a lot of sticky political things in the EV world. And one of them is the fact that you cannot sell an EV car in the U.S. if it was not made in North America, which mm -hmm. means Tesla can. But BYD and Chinese automakers can't. And they're talking about establishing plants in Mexico. So, they Mexico. so that's right. going on. The big reason we bring all of this up is because many of you sent us emails when all of the political commentary was no more combustion cars after 2030 or 2035. Mm -hmm. And many of you sent us emails that were like borderline panic emails. And I understand. Like I got to get my manual saying, transmission I have gas get, powered thing. Exactly. I have to get it right now. And we've been saying <laughs> yeah. from the beginning, this is political posturing. Not mm -hmm. that EVs aren't coming. I'm not even beginning to try to suggest that. Right. That's not the case. Right. EVs are coming. They're going to keep growing. I get all that. But the percentage of the market versus the infrastructure that exists to support them, we just ran the basic numbers and we were like, there's no way we're going to move that fast. And we've said from the beginning, I think retractions are coming. Well, the point I'm making here is <laughs> the retractions are happening, yes. not because it isn't coming, but just the speed with which everybody threw down like a big political football and was like, I'm doing this. We were like, really? That fast? <laughs> yes. So let's not panic. And I feel like quality suffered in the midst because mm new business plans were immediately generated for some companies it felt like overnight suddenly the business shift changed mm -hmm. yeah and suddenly the company that i thought was that i don't GM. recognize oh, what what i Sorry? don't recognize them anymore do you make performance cars yeah i mean yeah. we've got the cadillac lyric uh-huh over here and we've got the v series cadillac escalade uh -huh. with sport mode on startup 700 horsepower beastly beast these things are not the same like, yes uh -huh. from the same company mm -hmm. same brand same badge okay I, i'm great i'm fine with it i'm <laughs> totally well, fine no with it. variety is the key here and that's what's yes. very exciting the other thing that we've said a lot and I, and I also want you guys to keep paying attention to it is when you see things in these articles that say electrified mm -hmm. vehicles yes. that is different than an all EV. It just means that we're seeing a lot of this plug-in hybrids, which we're all for. It uses up a lot less of that battery technology and it also keeps the weight down. Weight is the big killer for of all these EVs. any size vehicle because yes. it damages roads too and mm -hmm. you chew through tires. There is no easy answer here and I am not at all suggesting that EVs are not helpful. I'm not suggesting that they aren't coming and the market is growing. All of that, I believe, in spite of the fact that the demand has gone down, I believe over time we're going to see a growing EV share of the market. But these all things have to be, that's tough and, not, and proving to not be real. I think Cadillac has gotten it wrong because I've suggested all the people movers, all the boring stuff, mm -hmm. all the stuff that just people need to run their daily lives. That could be an EV. Mm -hmm. Great. And that could be the heavier, more passengers, more cargo thing. Sure. Pickup sure. trucks and all that stuff. Okay. Great. But then leave 
the track use and fun cars <laughs> to light to truly get something lightweight yeah. and still offer manual transmissions to the enthusiast market, which is still significant. Why can't both exist? I mean, Cadillac mm -hmm. made the bigger one the gas engine vehicle and the smaller <laughs> one the EV. We got to swap that. Uh, interesting point. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I know the Lyric is still an EV or a SUV, but yeah. still. I'm still saying people movers and where it's necessary for city parking and for city congestion and, and that kind of thing. Great. There is a market for mm -hmm. that and that we will see that grow. But for these enthusiast cars, we're all going, well, how, how can we build a Miata? That, uh, yes. was it the Janetta that came out with the concept? I think well, it was Well, and, and Caterham's got a cool uh, looking Caterham, one as well. Sorry, yeah, yes, yeah. it was Caterham that did come out with that concept. Mm -hmm. and, and that's great, but can, you know, it's still a concept. Can it take a full day of recharging on track? Can it survive the abuse of a track day? Can it do the fun car things that we know and love and rely on our fun sports cars to do? When I think about the McLaren Artura that we drove, you could own that in the so city fun. center. You could own it in the city center yeah. and do all of your stuff in the city center on all electric. And still rock a McLaren. And still rock a McLaren. And then yes. if you actually have the opportunity to go cross country, have a track day or whatever, it just works. While there was some weight penalty, it's not, if that, if that car had been an all EV, Probably would have weighed five or six hundred pounds more. Yeah, dynamics will totally change on yeah. that thing. Anyway, this a whole wild west world, <laughs> and we're just trying to hang on. Yeah. The point is, it's changing and uh -huh. will continue to change. Yes, and yes. we're just observing the news like everyone else has. So it's all all very interesting. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. We're very excited to announce a new partnership with Battery Tender. If you park your car for any length of time, you need it to start. The last thing you want to hear is the labored whine of a dead battery. That's why you need a battery tender battery charger to properly maintain the battery in your vehicle to give it long life and quick starts every time. We're already customers. We use battery tender battery chargers on all of our cars year round and especially through the snowy winter months of Park City. Since 1965, Deltran Battery Tender has been the leader in battery chargers. Their BTP microprocessor technology and quick connect convenience automatically maintains the batteries in all your vehicles, lead acid, AGM, or lithium. Keep all your batteries in top condition. Visit BatteryTender.com and find the right product for you, including battery chargers, jump starters, inverters, and more. Plus, as our listeners, you can use the code every day to get 10% off your order at BatteryTender.com. Seth Kleinman has actually posted a lot of questions over the years on this podcast. We really appreciate it, Seth. And he is writing in and asking the Topic Tuesday question. This is this is an ultimate Topic Tuesday question, I feel like, because it's one good. of the great things about Topic Tuesdays is we actually don't solve it. You and I are not here solving things and wrapping it up in a bow. We're just we're getting the debate going because you guys are joining us here on the car debate and we're having these conversations about things that we can't solve. We're here to not but get we to a resolution. But we as car people could talk about this all night. This is one of those conversations I would have had on one of our meetups uh -huh. through the entire dinner uh -huh. and we would have solved nothing. The question is, what makes a car special? Seth says the question has arisen in his life because he's considering either adding a car to his fleet or replacing a car. Mm. Either way, he's thinking he wants it to be with a car that he would deem special, but he's having difficulty defining what makes a car special. Is it rarity? Is it brand cachet? Or is it something else? Some examples of cars he gives that are or are not special in his book. Starting out with BMW, he says pretty much all M cars are special, while any car that's not an actual M car isn't. Hmm, Except okay. for the non-MZ3 Coupe and Z4 Coupe, both of which he thinks are it's very special. <laughs> okay. okay, got it. All right, yep. <laughs> He's also not sure if a last-gen F80 generation M3 is really all that special or a last-gen M2 that isn't a competition or a CS. Mm, okay. The Alfa Romeo, Giulia, and Stelvio are special in the quadrifolio trim. Yes, if it's got the four-leaf clover. While the 4C is special across the board. Okay. Similarly, pretty much all RS Audis are also special, while S Audis aren't so much. Same with Mercedes and AMG versus AMG line. You see how the AMG line, mm. it's sort of like a carrot on the end of a fishing pole. Like, come on. You know you want the AMG. Uh, all you can do this is, is the AMG line. This is what I thought was fascinating. He said he has never really found 
the Corvette to be special, but he feels like the C8 Corvette, the mid-engine Corvette, is special in any trim. And then he says, hang on, I did actually really like the C1 and C2. But, but, <laughs> yeah. but beyond that, he said he doesn't feel like it's a special car, except the C8 is special across the board. That's fascinating. Then we come to Porsche. Mm. To Seth, all 911s are special. Hmm. Even the lowly base model 996 Carrera 2. See, I, I, I'm not with you, Seth, but I'm, all right, keep going. I agree with you, Todd. I, I don't, I'm not sure about that. Okay. Except, Seth writes, for the 2012 Cayman R, he'd probably say that only the GTS and above trim levels are special in the Cayman. Hmm. Cayman S is still pretty special. Interesting. This is fascinating. I love this. This is lots of debate in here. <laughs> only Panameras and Taycons Seth finds special are the Sport Turismo or Cross Turismo versions. The wagons, of course. We're wagon nerds. <laughs> you wagon could get nerds a Porsche unite. brown wagon. <laughs> yes. And then we would just be real They offer it in a yeah, coppery sure. metallic brown uh-huh. yeah, wagon. Yep. Brands that are special at every model and trim level include Lotus. He says, you're welcome, Todd. Maserati, you're welcome, Paul. And of course, your other exotic brands. See, I don't, I don't know that I even agree with that. It's not all the brands; it's by car. Because the Elettra, I don't think is going. I mean, we haven't driven it yet, but what I come away from the Elettra thinking that was special. Mm. A six thousand pound electric five seat <laughs> SUV was special. Yeah, that special. Oh, that Volvo C forty grinds me. It is not special. And then you know the the Maserati, their Gricale. Their, their five-seat we recently drove. Yeah. It's a good entry in the segment. Is it special, though? Trofeo is Italian for special. Okay, apparently. It's really All not. Right. But this is the question. I mean, this is what he's asking. What is making it special? And I have many thoughts, and I bet you do, too. I do. Low build numbers, Seth, do not make a car special. Okay. Exhibit A is the Chrysler TC by Maserati. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. I'm sorry. Okay, I see it. I see it. Yep. 7,300 of those cars were built over the span of three model years, and you're probably wondering, along with Todd and I, where are they? <laughs> they were turned in where at cash for clunkers. Are they? <laughs> this turd had its highest horsepower output from a 2.2 liter turbo tube inline four engine rated at 141 brake horsepower. Woohoo! Seth, go sit in a DeLorean. Mm. My question to you is, is it special? Hmm. I've got this list, Seth. You know, I'm list guy. Yes, you are. A motorsports connection or derivation or racing provenance or some sort of history that ties to the new model of whatever is being introduced makes it special. It's got the potential. Okay. How it drives. It's got to be something that's uncivilized that really resonates with all of us car nerds, like that 2012 Mustang Boss 302. That's like mm. the naughtiest girlfriend you've ever had. It was like, <laughs> cars can be this raw and <laughs> sort of offensive. That's, that's very good. I kind of like it. <laughs> when you can tell, Seth, that passionate people were behind it, mm. as my mom number two says, you just know when you're knower. Anytime you get the sense that management had to be convinced, much to their dismay, hmm. that means that car is special. Hmm. Okay. Complete one-offs. You already said BMWs and BMW 1M is the most special of all the weird complete one-offs. That's, that's good. I have the 1M on my list because I think that, hmm, I'm going to go this far. And I have lots of reasons for this, but I do think that the 1M is incredibly special. Because it's a science project. Yes. We took a car yes. that wasn't meant to end up like this, and we put a bunch of parts in it. We made this crazy thing. It's not, this is not a product planner's car. This is a car person's car. They were like, what about all the big, heavy-duty stuff from the bigger car and the little car? That's not product planning. That is hot rod thinking. Well, okay? the Chrysler TC was like, all oh, the worst of all the suppliers. Let's put that into a car. <laughs> Make it special. But so that's the thing. I think the 1M might be... And I'm going to go really controversial in a second. I think it might be the most special car that BMW has made in the last 10 or 15 years is the 1M. I think so too. With one possible exception, the i8, I also think is special. That's good. It is a very unique, rare car. And BMW didn't really continue down that pathway after they did that, which is true of the 1M. They're like cul-de-sacs. The 1M, we're not making a second yeah. version of the 1M. We're not making another version of the i8. These are these weird kind of moonshot ideas that we tried, and they make for a very unique car without direct competition yeah. that showcases yeah. what the brand was doing at the time, and then we walked away. That's good. There's exceptions to every rule, yes. Seth. 
And I say collaborations between companies have the potential for some good, but there's also bad. The GR86 is a great example of a collaboration that makes a car special. I think the GR86 is special. Moment in time kind mm, of car. Interesting. Okay, yeah. So is the GR Supra and Lotus cars with their Mercedes and Toyota engine choices. I think those are special cars. Oh, and the Amira. Okay, all right. And the Amira too. Yeah, they're, they're collaborations. Mm. But there's other collaborations. I don't have to go into it. The long list of collaborations that were massive failures. Some of them, they buried them in the dirt and made art. They called it Carhenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. The sound of a car makes it special. Mm, okay, all right, all right. Sometimes I hate that every time a Mustang 5.0 roars by in the background, I think, what is that, Mustang? <laughs> <sighs> I looked. You got me. <laughs> Next on my list is cars that define a generation, like each decade or mm, pop culture mm. generations, from Grease, the movie Grease, to the Volkswagen bus, to Fast and Furious. There's some special cars we could pick out of those kinds of movies. Because they're iconic. Well, this is the mm. reason that the DeLorean is considered as special as it is. It is, it's, but it, because I sat in it and went, No, that's the thing. You, you, and I've, you and I have driven it around a parking lot enough to know, <laughs> yeah, I don't need to take this any further. But, but, the, but the reality is it will always be iconic. I mean, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll go another one to you. I submit to you that the 69 Dodge Charger isn't as special let me put another Ooh. one. Wouldn't have been as special as we believe it to be without the Dukes of Hazard. I agree to that. Or without even Bullet. Think about the movie yes. Bullet. The bad guys are driving that car, and then the Duke boys drive it all around Hazard County, <laughs> inexplicably squealing tires on dirt. That is that, <laughs> that is, is an editorial nightmare. But but ever. and then somehow jumping it like further than any car could ever go, and you can watch the frame bend every single show, and it's still good. The general's running How great. How many did they go through? A lot. Many. Yeah. Which is which also helped make that car special because it was a mass market car, and they destroyed so many <laughs> that now there's not very many good it's ones so left. So rare. But but <laughs> that iconic status that is accomplished in movies helps make a car special. Movie cars are on my list. You know, the groundbreaking films are never going to see that way again, see it done that way, like Ronin. Mm -hmm. I've never wanted an M5 so badly, the first gen M5, <laughs> second gen M5. Sure, okay, all right. And what was it, a Renault something? I don't even know what Renault mm -hmm. model it was. And I was like, a Renault sedan can do that? Like, amazing. <laughs> the Porsche 928 and Risky Business, Scarface and Weird Science left a very deep impression on me. Clearly it did, yes. So did the Lotus Esprit and Roger Moore's Bond films, For Your Eyes Only and The Spy mm -hmm. Who Loved Me, of course. Mm -hmm. yep. I had seen, actually, when I was at Autodesk and I was calling on Tesla in the design studio, Elon bought the underwater version mm -hmm. of the white Esprit from The Spy Who Loved Me. Yep. And it was parked in the design studio. It was on a mount because it had the wheels retracted. Uh -huh. It was yeah, in yeah. underwater mode. Yeah. And that was the one they used in the film. Mm -hmm. You look inside and it was just like copper tubing and piping sure. and they had to yeah, yeah. make it all work. I, I don't think you could even fit a body in it. <laughs> but it was like, that was the underwater thing. And he awesome. stuck Love it in it. the design studio as inspiration for his designers. What else? Steve McQueen's cars, Ford versus Ferrari. And of course... There's two, the 1958 Porsche 356 Speedster that Kelly McGillis drove in Top Gun and the 1973 911S in Top Gun 2. That really got me. Okay. The silver. Oh. Yeah. How? It how? was perfect. How are those ladies in those films uh, making enough money to afford those cars? A separate I thing. I don't anyway, know. Yeah. Going on. Certainly cars and famous advertising campaigns. And I will finish my list by saying a car with sentimental value. Seth, Todd, your dad's Jaguar E-types. Yeah. Those are special. I mean, they're special because they're E-types, but they're special because you've told the stories of those E-types. Yeah, e I have a connection to that car. You're right. That's great. That's very good stuff. Seth, I have a few other thoughts here. I know you're not surprised. I, I'm First, I'm going to go just to the sheer words we're dealing with. Common and special are antonyms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, they just, a car that is common cannot also be special. I like limited edition, wasn't it? Now you can Jeremy Clarkson that pointed out like this is a limited edition. Darn right, it's limited. <laughs> Can't do this, this, and this. <laughs> but that's the thing. You could take a common car and you could make a unique one-off of it, and you could possibly argue that your unique one-off is special. Possibly, Mitsubishi Evos, Evo Tens. The Lancer is a really boring, awful car. Well, but the Evo is sweet. Well, because they made a special version. I will take your point. But I, I'm going to go another place, and that is that special and interesting are not the same. And I'll give you an actual current example. For the first time ever with this current generation, the Toyota Prius is interesting. When I see it in wow. any color, it turns my head. I'm like, oh, look, there's one. <laughs> wow. But is it special? 
No, it's not. No, I, I was about to say you're about to call a Prius special. It's no, not special. no, no, it's not special. Unless they come out with a GR Prius, they're going to sell thousands and millions of them. If a Grime comes out, the GR Prime. <laughs> I agree. The Grime <laughs> would be special. Our, our Prius is no. It was, our, even our Prius wasn't special. The, the reality is, so here's a car that's become interesting, and and honestly, I'll go another step. A car that's become good. Hmm. Yeah. But it's not special. Yeah. 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 It's interesting because that's not what the Prius has been. But, you know, Camrys are good and uh, Honda Accords are very good. None of those are special because common can't be special unless you made a weird SEMA one-off. And then those are just weird more than they are special. <laughs> there, is, there is the intangible here, Seth, and that is a car that gives you a specific feeling that makes you feel, for lack of a better way to put it, just warm and happy. That can be special to only you. True. Okay. True. So there is that. We have people that write to us. We've got one coming up here that have cars that have got nostalgia in their life, cars that had special experiences in their life or parents or friends owned it. That could be a very special car that on its face is just common and uninteresting, but there's personal nostalgia. So that is something that cannot be battled with. But Seth, you're kind of asking, how is it defined here? And I think if it's high volume or fairly common to see one, it ceases to be special. And that, for me, blows away most 911s. Okay. There are 911s that it's like, okay, I see a 911R. I'm like, okay, that's a special version of 911. There's not very yeah. many of those. I see a, a 918 Spider from Porsche, the hypercars, the GT. These are special. You don't True. see very many. True. And then the people that buy them don't drive them. So now it's very special because it's out on the road. But 911s, the whole point of them is to be the daily supercar, and they do that very well. I agree to that. But I think yeah. it undermines every the specialness. Yeah. And so you have to get into the GT3 RS and the stuff. It's like, whoa, you have one of those? The the, mm. the GT340 from the 997 generation, special car. That's good. I okay. Want one of those. That is a 911 that I, I would put on my personal list, and I'm not even a 911 guy. I'd have that car, absolutely. That yeah. is a special version of 911. Doesn't mean it's not related to lesser models, but it's like the 1M versus the rest of the M cars. The rest of the M cars are good. The 1M is special. It has to be those weird moonshot one offs for me mm -hmm. to make it special, or it has to be something that has such sentimental value that car can't be replaced with even another one of the exact same car. So it's one of those two things for me, that rarity or that personal connection that makes it happen, which is one of the reasons you're struggling, Seth, with the Corvette being special. The Corvette is kind of common. Mm, yes. They made a lot of That's them. That's the point of making it. Yes. To democratize cheap power and yes. cheap fun for everyone. And, and I will also say no. this, and you and I are going to disagree here because you've already said it. I think the GR86 is unique and interesting and rare that it exists. I don't think it's that special. I think okay. my Lotus Elise is special because I cannot believe that car ever existed at true, all. True. The GR86 heads that way. I can't believe it and the current MX-5 exist in the modern time. But one of the things I think is special about the GR86 is I don't feel special about it. I just want to drive it. I just know it drives I suppose well. I could see that thinking because I don't consider the Miata to be special. Mm-hmm. But it drives phenomenal. But it drives well. great, and, and it's the a lot RF, of fun. I think, is going to be one of the best-looking cars for the next twenty-five the RF years. RF is special. Okay, all right. I all think. Right. I, I think. I that's think it's unique to the I Miata. I think it's iconic. Is it special? I don't know, but I think it's iconic. It's one of those icon. Here's the thing: if you put a Miata in a movie, then it would become special. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put an RF in whatever I'm movie saying, that is. Some RF yeah. in some movie as a big icon. Then, okay. That, we could, we all could, right, we're right because, on the board. Because the movie okay. thing can make it happen. So okay. there's a lot of all variables right, here, right. Seth. But as always, we have solved nothing. <laughs> but we have thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. If you have a topic Tuesday that you would like us to not solve, please write to us. TV at gmail.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Winter is here and that means it's time to check your windshield wipers. I'm sure you've noticed that old wipers leave streaks across your windshield and simply fail to wipe away the snow, sleet, or rain, which leads to bad visibility. Look to PowerClear wiper blades from our friends at PowerStop. Since 1995, PowerStop has brought performance brake upgrades to nearly every vehicle on the road, and we've enjoyed their brakes on many of our own cars. 
Now, PowerStop is bringing affordable safety upgrades to more than just brakes. PowerClear wiper blades feature RealView advanced rubber technology to bring you streak-free, long-lasting visibility in all weather conditions. Forget fussing around with adapters or sizes and trying to figure out which blade kit works for your car. Each wiper blade kit includes the exact size driver and passenger side wipers you need with vehicle-specific attachments. Plus, PowerClear wipers come with a really cool built-in wear indicator so you know when they have to be replaced. This product is rolling out now, so head over to PowerClearWipers.com to learn more and ensure your vehicle is winter ready. Today's debate is between Jeep and Audi. This is an interesting one. Jeep versus Audi. Mm -hmm. Tyler C. writes to us. He's having a major internal dilemma, and a friend recommended that he write to us. Thank you, friend, whoever that yeah, is. Yeah, for sure. That's thank great. Thank you, Tyler. Really appreciate it. He hadn't heard the podcast before, but Tyler subscribed recently. He's really enjoying it. And maybe we can help him sort out this dilemma. If nothing else, we'll talk it to death. I promise you. We're going to talk <laughs> it right to death, death with yes. words. Tyler and his wife have two young kids, age two and six. Tyler drives a 2015 F-150 Super Crew, which he loves. It's a great family vehicle. Until recently, his wife drove a 2012 Audi A6 that they've had since new. But she wanted an SUV, so they bought a 2022 Audi SQ7. Hmm. But they still have the A6. <laughs> okay, I'm seeing cars <laughs> stacking up in the driveway here. Also, they have a 2002 Wrangler that his family, Tyler's dad, bought brand new in 2001. In 2020, they all discovered the Wrangler had serious frame rot, which is typical. And being that it was in otherwise good shape and low mileage, Tyler, along with a friend, took on a four-month task of doing a frame-off restoration. Whoa. They cleaned or replaced practically every part, performed a new clutch, oh my gosh. a rear main seal, lots of other repairs. I mean, all the stuff while you were in there, that's what you want to do. That is the worst sentence <laughs> One thing in car better. repair. <laughs> well, while you're in there, oh my gosh. They did the stock upgrades, and four years later, this Wrangler is beautiful, reliable, well-running, and a pavement princess at 76,000 miles with that 406 speed. Okay. Back to that Audi A6, shortly before they brought, bought the SQ7, they had a coolant system meltdown in the car. <laughs> Sorry, I I'm laughing. Didn't, I just, wow. I okay. didn't know that was common, but All apparently right, there that's it common. Is, yep. They've now put over $4,000 in repairs and some preventative maintenance, like a PCV valve, and replaced the engine mounts, valve cover gaskets. While you're in there. Mm-hmm. Car runs great now. Should be reliable. I love should be reliable, <laughs> but that money is a sunk cost. They're never going to get it back out of the car. You're totally right. You won't. To summarize, their four cars are that 2015 F-150, mm -hmm. the new 2022 Audi SQ7, the 2012 Audi A6 Prestige 3.0 with 82,000 miles, and the aforementioned O2 Jeep Wrangler Sport 4.0 with 76,000 miles. Mm. Okay. Their plan upon buying the SQ7 was to sell the A6. It's a beautiful car, very well maintained, but the dealer offered them a super weak trade-in, so they didn't. But Tyler's brother is a very interested buyer, and they work out a reasonable price that will more than cover their down payment on the SQ7. Okay. Tyler estimates they'd sell it to him at $13,500, so they could probably get fifteen grand in the open market. Also, if your brother is currently listening to this podcast, he knows the price that it's going to take. And he's like, yeah, deal. <laughs> anyway. I think we've got a deal. If we sold that A6, that would leave them with the Jeep. While Tyler loves the vehicle and he has a special bond, I know that bond. Mm -hmm. I know that bond. Yes, yours is 928 shaped. <laughs> Moving is. on, yes. The hole in my wallet is 928 shaped. Yeah, it is. He has personally dismantled and rebuilt it. You feel that connection. Mm -hmm. That thing that you put all your blood, sweat, and tears into drives you around town. It's amazing. But it's almost completely useless as a third family vehicle with young kids. If one of their vehicles goes out for service or they have a family in town needing to borrow a car, the Jeep can't carry the kids because they don't feel like it's safe enough. So he's rebuilt. I want, I want to land on this. <laughs> You've rebuilt the entire vehicle. Yeah. It has connection to you and you have personal blood, sweat, and tears in this thing. But in spite of you calling it a pavement princess that runs well, you refuse to put your children in it. I want to <laughs> clarify that again. You will not put your kids in this Jeep. Right. Okay. Onward. He said it's not good for long distances and can't hold cargo. <laughs> so the Jeep has very little use. Let's be honest. It's a Wrangler commuter or a quick trip type of vehicle. But the A6, on the other hand, is a lot more useful. It holds the kids. It's good for longer drives. It's infinitely more comfortable and refined than the Jeep. And they've got $4,000 of sunk cost. Sure. And it's a reliable Audi. It's better than a reliable Maserati. So he says, So he says, hang on. This is, this is simple, right? We've gotten to sell the Jeep, keep the A6. But the problem is... His dad bought the Jeep in 01. 
So 20 years ago, he and his brother have had it at different times, but he and his dad and his brother are the only ones who've ever driven it, which is madness to me. Over the past eight years, his dad actually transferred him the title because he didn't want to sell it to him. He wanted to keep it around. So Tyler's had it. Tyler did all this restoration. So his dad put the money up. Tyler did the work. So they are kind of co-embedded in the madness of this Jeep. (laughs) They have further ingratiated it to the entire family. He paid for a few things, but mostly sweat equity, uh, just a couple days a week for three or four months of working on it. They feel like they are equal owners in the vehicle, he and his dad. His dad won't give him a straight answer on whether it's okay to sell it. By the way, dad is now also listening to the podcast. Yes. They're both hesitant to unload the Jeep because it's such a longtime family vehicle with sentimental value. That's where you get in trouble. His dad comes to visit every now and then and loves to use the Jeep. It's like it's his old friend when he arrives. He's like, oh, cool, I'll drive the Jeep. They don't really need the money that they're going to get out of the Jeep. They're not going to get much. They don't really need that money. That's not the consideration, but it's it's that connectivity between the two of them and this car. How about a pop-up garage? Extra storage? Mm, many, many thoughts. Because, see, I'm reading this, Tyler, with fingers pointed back at me, wondering what I'm going to do with the 928, because I've got the same thing. I've put all the blood, sweat, and sure. tears yeah, into yeah. this car, and Todd and I went on this road, all these these road trips, yeah, and yeah. I've done so much with the car. It's got sentimental value. I don't want to get rid of it. Huh. Tyler says they don't need the money either, but they definitely don't need four cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, nobody needs four cars, but... It it's sure fun when you have... Actually, happens. in your, your case, it's not that fun. You say you've got a few <laughs> options here. Option one is sell the A6 to your brother to help you recoup some of the down payment on the SQ7. Live with two daily drivers in the Jeep as a backup fun car that otherwise is a showpiece, but not that useful. Would also help out if they want another car. Sell the Jeep, split the money with his dad, but he imagines they're going to get, what, 10, 12 grand out of it? So it's not really that much of a deal. And it wouldn't actually recoup the whole down payment on the SQ7. Keep both cars and act like the Jeep is a gift to his dad. That he owns. He's just going to give it back to his dad to cover the insurance other costs, and he could just use it at his leisure when he's in town. So he's sixpence none the richer. Uh huh. That none of that has helped. I have I have many thoughts here, but this is fascinating, Tyler. You said nothing like mixing family drama into car buying and selling, and Tyler, this is actually what this podcast's about. Yes, it's about cars, but what we love is all the stories you guys send us, all the connective tissue, all the the ways that that we invest in our cars emotionally beyond just the fact that they cost stuff and they are fun to drive places. We all end up with our emotions tied to these cars, which is simultaneously ridiculous and amazing. I'm trying to find someone in your email who could buy this Jeep, Tyler. I'm Mm. scrolling through. (laughs) Your dad's brother, does he want it? Because I I was trying to keep it in the family, but the extended family, like one Mm -hmm. concentric tree ring out. Like the friends in your lives that like the Jeep. Because... (laughs) On one hand, I kind of feel like if you took that to auction, any one of the auctions that are mm-hmm, out there, mm-hmm. you could probably get more money. But you keep saying throughout, your dad doesn't need the money and neither do you. I mean, you would like to apply it to a down payment. But you're not going to get that much out of it. You're all, that's what you're big, big I mean, aware of. Could you of. get more? But how much more? Three grand? Five yeah, grand? Ten yeah, grand? Much, and yeah. then, great, the Jeep is gone. The Jeep that you love. The Jeep that you put so much time and effort to. So all these car builders, Tyler, that are out there, the people that build these cars and put all that sweat sweat equity into them. Mm -hmm. Shoot, how about mechanics? They bust their knuckles, fixing cars, putting their best into Mm -hmm. making Mm -hmm. that thing run. And we just think, ah, it's just that easy. You just take it to the guy and he does the thing. He charges me too much (laughs) and I've got a car that runs. Yeah, yeah. How do you think mechanics feel? Like they get invested too. Mm. I worked on this car. I made it run. I've really sweetened that thing, and I mm-hmm, readjusted mm-hmm. that part. And now it really—it's actually better than new. And I—I mm. I really, I've got invested in this. How do you think they feel when that goes out the door? Is it just the money? Sometimes not. Mm. So I—I I know how you feel, and we—you're right. We have this very strange emotional connection to our cars. It shouldn't be this way. It's just a thing. Mm-hmm. It's just a car, right? But we love them. Isn't it but cool? We love them. I'm trying to get the Jeep out of your life because it is useful for nothing. It's a commuter. Yeah, agree. At best, T- Tyler, I'm I'm coming in swinging elbows with tough love, buddy. I How I'm gonna, I'm going to say a big headline here, and I want you to think about it, and then I'm going to break it down. Here's my headline: You have sunk cost in the Audi A6, so you think it'll be reliable. You have tons of sweat equity and nostalgia in the Jeep. 
Those two unquantifiable costs have clouded your awareness of what you actually need from your cars. Okay. And as a result, you're giving those cars, the A6 and the Jeep, both value in your life that isn't actually real. The Mm. other thing that's interesting Mm. is you keep having this weird dangling reality, and that is when people come into town, we'll need a third car. Or when one of these two cars is in the shop, we'll need a third car. And so far, the answer is keep one of the additional cars we have in the drive. To which I ask you, why? Can't they rent a car? Exactly. No, no, seriously. If your family's coming into town, rent them something. Yeah. That's going to be less cost than it would be keeping one of these other cars around or vice versa. If you have a car going in the shop, rent a car then. How many times a year is this going to happen? Six? A dozen? No. How many days a year is that even going to be a thing? Yeah. So my point is, making as an excuse to hang on to one of these other two cars, the occasional times you might need a third. Now I'm going to circle back. The A6 is now an unknown. You put money in it, but it's still really a reliability unknown. It's still an A6. Seriously. Well, it's an old A6. That's the reality. (laughs) And the Jeep, I want to land on it again. You won't put your kids in it. (laughs) You will not put your family in this Jeep. That is a strong argument right there. (laughs) Okay. And you and your brother and your dad are the only people that have driven that car in 20 years. It's time to go. It's time to go. I appreciate the nostalgia here, but the Jeep goes. Best case. For your family, your dad takes it away from you. Your dad's pulled off the perfect thing here. He doesn't have to see it. He doesn't have to live with him. He gets to visit his Jeep now and then. We have pulled the curtain back. Dad, if you want the Jeep, you take the Jeep back to your house. Yeah. Okay? So, yeah. Tyler, the, the, Jeep, the Jeep is going. The Jeep's out because you won't even put your kids in it. And nobody gets to drive it. And it doesn't go off-road. It has no purpose. I understand the, the nostalgia, and, I'm, and I know it feels like I'm being harsh. I know I'm ripping the Band-Aid off here, but there's no purpose for the Jeep. The A6 is unknown as a reliable car because here's the thing that got ignored from the first paragraph of the email. You have a Ford F-150 that's reliable as the rising of the sun, and you love it. You have an F-150 that works perfectly and drives your family around, and you also have an Audi SQ7. You've got it solved so here is my actual throwdown for you. Ooh. The Jeep either goes to dad or go- just goes. The Audi goes. You have the SQ7 and the F-150. Now stay for six months. Okay. And I want you to tally two things. How often do we need a third car? I mean, need, need. Like somebody's going to be in town or that car's going in the shop. How many times did that happen in six months of your life? Mm. My guess is you could count it on one hand. Hmm. The second thing is, if you don't need that third car that often, but you want a different life experience, now what do you want? Is it now a small sports car? Is it now a Jeep you could put the kids in and go off-road? I don't have an answer, but I bet in six months you will. You'll be driving the F-150 and the SQ7, and life is handled for vehicles. Mm-hmm. And now you can go, huh, what do we, what do we really want? Because needs covered. You're Argument is absolutely spot on. It t- ties into my argument, which I'm going to add. Also, under the tough love category, both of them get sold. They both go away. Mm-hmm. But because imagine your life two, three, four, five, eight, ten years from now, Tyler. Mm-hmm. What if you have all four vehicles still? More money's being put into them. And you don't love them enough, and it isn't giving you a different experience. Now, Mm -hmm. I say this, it's so easy to solve other people's problems, isn't it? (laughs) The fingers point right back at me because you could use the same argument at me. Like, well, if you don't get a car, you're never going to get a new experience. But by virtue of what Todd and I do, I am constantly getting new experiences. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I do have that kind of solve that is different and rarer than most. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I do not take that for granted. It is a privilege to be able to do what we do. Yes, It it is is a privilege to get press cars and get in the cars that we do. Mm -hmm. It is not a right. It is a full-on privilege, and and it's very, very cool. But if you keep either of these cars, it's an albatross around your neck. It's weighing Mm -hmm. you down. Mm -hmm. It's going to prevent you from discovering a new thing in your life, a new style of driving, a new kind of car, a new track, a new off-road trail, a new something, a new Mm -hmm. aspect to cars in your life that you would not otherwise experience if you keep the Jeep and the Audi. So they both go away. I do like your wait period because we're not adding anything. 
Mm-hmm. We're actually getting rid of two cars. You said nobody needs four cars. We're getting rid of two, and you're down to two, and we didn't add anything, and you're fine. And the only reason he's thinking about that third car is for the occasional. Yeah. So let's measure the occasional. <laughs> That's the thing. You don't That's even know good. how often. That's very good. And then when you do have some sort of thought that bubbles up, you think, huh, I've always wondered what small, lightweight, fun sports cars mm-hmm. drive like. Mm-hmm. Well, now you've got this opportunity to go investigate. Mm. And maybe that six months, maybe you are turrowing a few things. And maybe you are driving a few of your friends' cars. And maybe you are exploring and it's just feelers are out there. And you're just kind of going, huh, I didn't know that I liked blank kind of category. You just you just settled on something I hadn't thought of that's really great. And that is when your parents come into town or family comes to town and they need a car, rent something on Turo you've always been curious about that creates a third car for them. There we go. A new drive experience. It's drive homework for you. Two birds with one stone. <laughs> Can't take you guys or your luggage, but I'm going to go have fun. Mm-hmm. Sweet. <laughs> you guys take the F-150. I'm in an MX-5 for the week. There we go. There you go. This is interesting. Tyler, I really encourage you to take the photos that you need to with a family with the Jeep, mm-hmm. but it needs to go. And you can't put photos with the kids in it. So <laughs> that's right. Only when parked, the, the kids are going to stand by the hubs. You and your dad, and your brother are going to sit inside it photos and we're done. And it goes, all right. When you've got a car debate like Tyler's write to us everyday driver TV at gmail.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am not one for adding more legislation, but whenever I've been in Germany and winter tires are required, especially mm. through April, I think, mm. well, yes, because I was actually driving yesterday and I saw a very bad accident with a Suburban <sighs> that plowed its front end oh. into the, the divider. Oh, man. And I just thought it was snowing hard. It was really slick. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, I know why that happened. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't. I, I actually don't. But 90% chance of bad tires? Yeah, I hear you. Cynthia Logan says, should all-weather tires be the default in areas that receive snow instead of all seasons? It seems like small changes that manufacturers and dealers could do would improve road safety. Yeah. I don't want more legislation. Mm-hmm. I don't want more laws. But I, I see people driving erratically and, frankly, doing stupid stuff. And all of us have the story about somebody who pulled out doing 15 miles an hour and you're cooking along at 50 or 60 mm-hmm. in a snowstorm, in a blizzard, on oh. ice or whatever. And we're going, you know, uh, physics exists. <laughs> Stopping is hard. Yes I, is the answer, but no is the answer but, too. But here's the other part about this is I understand that there's a, there's a great guy. Actually, he's, he now lives locally, started off in, in Europe, but uh, he does tire reviews. Mm-hmm, yes. T-Y-R-E, tire reviews on YouTube. He does fantastic breakdowns. You will not see better breakdowns of one tire compared to another. Really, really great videos that he does around the world. And he has said something that I have really taken to heart that makes sense to me. Now, a place like Germany does require winter tires, but what we call all weathers over here are what all, all seasons are for much of Europe. Yeah. So why why do all seasons exist? I'm asking this why question. Why are we trying to confuse everything? Anyway. Who's behind that. this? <laughs> Big tire. Big tire <laughs> Big is behind tire. it. <laughs> Look out. You've been corrupted by Big Tire. <laughs> Revs Up asked a question based on our last couple of podcasts. He said, now that we have acquired HOD, he's very proud of himself for using the word acquisition. Now that it's our new acquisition. <laughs> it's a fun word. And we mentioned that somebody mentioned to us called uh, Everyday Driver a travel company. Do we disagree or agree with that sentiment? You know, Revs Up, this is interesting because you and I started as Everyday Driver mm-hmm. wanting to create entertainment that also hopefully helped you actually learn about cars and buy a car you loved. I mean, that really was the core of what we were doing. And so we wanted it to be helpful, but we weren't setting out to be more than hosts Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on camera, on podcast. But what we realized over time, and it took a while, I think for both of us to realize, definitely took a long time for me, is that we were so spoiled by our geographical options for fun roads. Yeah, And then we became spoiled by our options to get in various cars. So what I realized over time is we have this opportunity that many people don't. So being able to host trips, that's what I realized that does. 
mm-hmm. us being travel hosts, which is not something you and I set out to do, but it creates that opportunity for those of you that can't otherwise. And the level of joy that I have seen in people that get to do our meetups or you know track days or whatever it is, that level of joy, I just go, oh, see, that is worth it. That is something that is important, has value as, a, as an offshoot of our company. So the fact that we went from straight entertainment, which is us being the presenters, you being the audience, to kind of co-involvement on these adventures was really cool to see how that was beneficial to people. So now that we can expand that again, we can create more opportunities for you to have fun in a car that feels natural to me. Mm-hmm. Didn't yeah. set out that way, yep. but now that we're there, it's like, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. And those roads that we found that go way up on the side of a mountain up to the sky, so come drive the friendly skies, apparently. <laughs> Something, that's our new tagline. I'm the Problem 28 asks if there's plans for HOD to host autocross events. Mm. I will not say no, but one of the great synergies that we found was the big track on on-track activities that are yeah. so much yeah, yeah. fun, these iconic tracks. Being able to do that and and host those was so appealing to us. But autocross is very fun and very cool, but it comes down to staffing. It comes down to our ability to staff and not overwhelm the staff to take Mm -hmm. on too many events. Because what we found is a big track event can be going on. And over here in the paddock, there's still room to host another autocross. But it comes down to the ability to properly staff that with people. Sure, yeah, yeah. And... Different groups have, uh, car clubs have approached us in doing so, but it also depends on our insurance coverage to be able to take that on. Mm. Those are the realities of running the business. <laughs> the things we have learned in the three yes. whole weeks that we have owned Hooked on Driving <laughs> is enough to fill a brain, and we're still taking it in. It's pretty crazy. Geese One RBM keeps seeing rumors that Subaru will drop the BRZ in 2025. Toyota switch to a three-cylinder turbo for the GR86 at the same time. Is that the one out of the GR Corolla? This is the rumor. I've read this rumor too, yes. Can we drop that three-cylinder turbo into the Prius while we're at it? If we're there dropping we three-cylinder If we're putting three-cylinders in, three in stuff, may as well be the grime, right? Yeah. <laughs> we don't know if there's any truth to it. We are not on the inside as far as any plans. I mean, let's put it this way, Geese. Media are the last people that should be told by any car company what their future plans are. (laughs) Because we will share. We will share. We'll be like, oh, that's cool. Let me tell everyone. Well, here's the thing. I also want to say this. This rumor of Toyota's going to drop the Subaru power plant out of this great car and put their own in has existed since the FRS first went on sale in this country. (laughs) They have been saying it for more than a decade. (laughs) The internet truly believes that Toyota is just about to drop a turbo in this car. Maybe, but I will also say this, and I know this is a dissenting opinion, but one of the things that's great about the 86 chassis is having a naturally aspirated engine. Yes. I am not saying that the Subaru flat four in there is the best engine ever, but it does make low center of gravity. That's one of the benefits of it. And having a naturally aspirated engine allows you to be more connected to the car. The thing about a turbo is it, it mutes the accelerator. The the information you give the car with the accelerator, there's not as much nuance. Now, I'm really down in the weeds, and I'm being a total car geek to say this, but the 86, everything about it requires engagement. You give it a turbo, and you kind of mute. Yeah, it'll be faster. It, mm-hmm. It'll be faster. Yeah. It'll have more power. But your your nuance to the gas pedal is going to change, and I've all, it's one of the reasons I've always liked either naturally aspirated cars or supercharged cars more than turbocharged cars because the the feel of the gas pedal changes. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's true. It doesn't. So it doesn't. So that is something as well. We'll see what what happens. I would be a little bit surprised if Toyota kept building that car if Subaru is going to kill it because Subaru builds it. It's yeah. not it's not coming <laughs> off a Toyota line. That's the other thing you have to keep in mind. <laughs> Now, the reason it's they Fuji. with Subaru is because yeah. they own the percentage of Subaru that GM used to own back when they made the Sabaru. Think about that for yeah. a minute, okay? Yeah. If Subaru decides we're no longer going to build this car, it's not like Toyota is spitting them out of some factory somewhere. The car is done. Plus, the BRZ doesn't exactly fit in Subaru's current lineup. It doesn't at all. It is the grand oddball. Unless they come out with a rally version. The big B- black fender flares. The BRZR <laughs> with a CVT and Ugh. plastic clad Please fender, no CVT. Fe- fender. Well, it's a Subaru product. How about a, a the, version of the Dakar that is like the cheap, you, like, you want a Dakar or a Storado? Is it, can't afford one? Come over here to get the BRZ rally version. That's how they could differentiate is it. Is it the BRZ Trek or the BRZ back? Which one is it? 
Outburs. <laughs> I don't know. Ridiculous. Another question from Seth K asking if I didn't own the 928 that I have now, would I spend the money to buy a turnkey 928? Well, I mean, I technically did. I could turn the key and it ran. It just didn't run great. <laughs> and the amount of money you put in that car could buy you now a yeah. pretty nice 928. I know. But anyway, yeah. I wasn't done with 928s and mm. I didn't know it. Mm. I wasn't done with them. I'd say probably it would be pointed towards a 911 since I still have not yet owned a 911. And I need I need to solve mm-hmm. that. I would like to solve that. I'm actually eyeballing the 0708 GT3s and GT3 RSs. The problem is they're like three to $500,000. <sighs> Oh, ouch. That's like a condo. <laughs> <laughs> a nice one. Even here in Park City. That's craziness. Yikes. I'd probably go for 911 something. But see, there's no way of knowing like, hey, buying this 928, I'm going to dump another, you know, lot of money, two or three times the amount I bought it for into this car and then justifying ouch. that to go, oh, well, that means I could buy some vintage 911 for a higher price and be satisfied. I didn't know that at the time. Well, and you're also not going to sell that 928 and get all your money out of it no. to allow you to jump to said 911. So you've got the nostalgia factor there too. I'm just counting on the risky business effect to like trickle down sometime. There you go. Perfect. Ted Adam Green says, hang on a minute. Shouldn't we celebrate the mass market cars that, I'm going to put it this way, the silver five-seat CUV plague? Shouldn't we celebrate this? Because that's what allows manufacturers to sell enough numbers to make enough money to make the less popular, low-selling enthusiast cars. He said, would we have a Miata without a Mazda CUV? And I'll go you one that we all know. The 911 would not exist without the Cayenne. Not anymore. Okay, so this is the reality. But not longer. longer. Ted, I'm going to say this to you. I don't mind celebrating them if that creates manufacturers willing to spend the money to make fun cars. Because what generally is happening is CUVs have a higher profit margin than sedans. They're not making CUVs because sedans weren't working. They're making CUVs because they can sell them for more and there's more profit margin. And the same reason they sell another variant of the F whatever pickup. Because the margin is huge on those, and the margin on sports cars is bad. We heard at one point, right around the time that I think it was the last generation Mustang was being developed, you made the comment, Paul, you'd heard it before, that the F-150 by itself makes as much money as all of the rest of Ford. That's significant. And then the other thing happening is the F-150 was massively in the black making all this profit, and Ford developing the new Mustang, they were going in the red to do so. The project was in the red, but it was the Mustang, so they were going to see it through. I I don't mind it if it actually means manufacturers are worried about making an actual fun car in their lineup. But what tends to happen is as they make CUVs and they sell CUVs and they just lean into whatever the mass market product is and the good stuff just goes away. So you have to have Mm -hmm. those champions at the manufacturer that are like, aren't we going to make some fun while we're at it? It's like we're going to make a summer blockbuster so we can make this really thoughtful Oscar-baiting movie that is a bunch of people in a room talking, but it's going to make you cry, okay? (laughs) The summer blockbuster is going to make a billion. Right. The really redeeming movie that will actually touch you might make $200 million, but we're going to make that because the big one allowed us to. That kind of thinking I support. The problem is you just end up with, what is it, 45 Marvel movies at this point, and nobody made the other things. That low, huh? Is that what we're up to? Now? Something like that. It's craziness. <laughs> Guys, thank you for all your questions. We really appreciate it. We're always looking forward to your, all your, your Topic Tuesdays, your car debates, your car conclusions. Write to us. We're always looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, everyone.